0: Malware campaign offers bogus protection against Pegasus surveillance. A new APT Shamel gang is found active against targets in at least 10 countries. A ransomware gang can't get its decryptor right. A proof of concept shows that charges can be made from a non-contact Visa card in an iPhone wallet. David DeFore from WebRoot warns of potential perils in cyber insurance. Our guest is Shamla Naidu from Netscope with advice for cyber innovators. And ransomware may be responsible for a child's death in an Alabama hospital. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, October 1st. 2021. Concerns about NSO Group’s Pegasus spyware intercept tool have prompted a foreseeable response by threat actors. pose as a Pegasus detection and removal tool. Cisco's Talos Group has found that the bad actors are posing as Amnesty International and fishing for concerned, well-informed, but gullible users who are worried that they might be compromised with Pegasus. Downloading the proffered tool, however, actually installs Sarwant malware, which Talos describes as a little-known malicious kit that serves as a remote access tool. Unlike more commonplace information stealers, however— Sarwent doesn't simply grab and exfiltrate data, but rather establishes persistence that enables it to upload other varieties of malware as well as pulling users' data at will. The campaigns observed are well executed. The bogus amnesty sites and emails have a convincing look and amount to a persuasive imitation of the genuine article. And the Sarwent malware itself seems to have the general look and feel of an antivirus tool. Talos summarizes quote, The campaign targets people who might be concerned that they are targeted by the Pegasus spyware. This targeting raises issues of possible state involvement, but there is insufficient information available to Talos to make any determination on which state or nation. It is possible that this is simply a financially motivated actor looking to leverage headlines to gain new access. End quote. So, for now, there's no clear attribution, but be wary of offers to immunize you against Pegasus. Positive Technologies has identified a new threat actor, Gang, an APT targeting the fuel, energy, and aviation sectors. Quote, In addition to two organizations in Russia, fuel and energy and aviation production companies, During further threat intelligence of the group activity, we identified 13 more compromised organizations in 10 countries of the world. The United States, Japan, Turkey, Taiwan, Vietnam, India, Afghanistan, Lithuania, and Nepal. In particular, compromised government sectors were found in the last four. Microsoft Exchange Server was located on almost all compromised nodes. In all likelihood, the nodes were compromised using vulnerabilities such as proxy logon and proxy shell. All the victims were notified by the national certs. Comparable organizations in the UK are also believed to be vulnerable. The APT operates by exploiting proxy shell vulnerabilities in attacks to affect Microsoft Exchange. The attack also exploited trusted relationships. Positive Technologies explains. A trusted relationship attack is an attack in which criminals hack the infrastructure of a third-party company whose employees have legitimate access to the victim's resources. For example, subsidiaries may become the first link in the chain of attacks on the parent organization. In other cases, the attack may begin with hacking the company providing technical support. Such attacks are associated with the compromise of trusted channels – VPN, for example – However, they are often confused with supply chain attacks, which are carried out using software and hardware means. An implant is embedded in the tool itself or in one part of the update to provide direct access to the server or establish a connection with the C2. Quote. The researchers have not yet attributed shamelgang to any particular nation state, but an APT it definitely seems to be. Presumably, the intelligence services of the victims can be ruled out. X, and that's E-X-X, a relatively new entrant into the ransomware-as-a-service criminal-to-criminal market, apparently has some quality control issues. Their decryptor, Proforo reports, doesn't work reliably. It leaves many encrypted files damaged beyond immediate recovery. Many such files can be recovered with additional work, But the criminal's decryptor won't help the victims. SecureWorks has reported a brute force vulnerability in Azure Active Directory. Microsoft, after some initial resistance to accepting that the researcher's findings and proof of concept represented an actual security flaw, now intends to issue a mitigation for the vulnerability, GovInfo Security writes. Ars Technica summarizes the issue between SecureWorks and Microsoft, and, a routine disclosure, Microsoft is a CyberWire sponsor. Microsoft thinks there are already precautions in place to keep users from succumbing to the sort of brute-forcing SecureWorks describes. But Redmond appears to be working on some changes nonetheless. Researchers from the universities of Birmingham and Surrey have demonstrated, the BBC reports, a contactless hack of a locked iPhone that enabled them to extract a Visa payment of £1,000 from Visa cards set up in the iPhone's wallet express transit mode. Apple sees it as a Visa issue, not an iPhone issue, so apparently people disagree. Do remember that the hack, clever as it may have been, was a researcher's proof of concept and not an issue encountered in the wild. And finally, a lawsuit alleges that an Alabama hospital that delivered a baby while systems were degraded by a ransomware attack missed a condition that ultimately resulted in the baby's death, the Wall Street Journal reports. The Spring Hill Medical Center in the U.S. state of Alabama was the facility affected. The ransomware had rendered a number of the clinical information systems doctors and nurses normally relied upon unavailable. The hospital had reverted to backup systems, and the plaintiffs allege that the unavailability of the additional layers of scrutiny and clear presentation that would normally have been used amounted to an unacceptable risk. The medical center denies wrongdoing, and whoever was or wasn't at fault, the child's death was a tragedy. This is the second case in which ransomware has been directly implicated in a death, The first, as the Washington Post reminds us, was a case in Cologne, Germany, where a ransomware attack a year ago, in September of 2020, forced an ambulance to divert an emergency case to a more distant hospital. The patient died en route, but might well have survived had the affected emergency room not been too disrupted by ransomware to handle cases. Both cases should be borne in mind when reading the tiresome claims of restraint and discriminating targeting that the ransomware gangs are wont to make, and of course our condolences to the families of both victims. Shamla Naidu is head of cloud strategy and innovation at NetScope and judge of the upcoming Data Tribe Challenge, which ends its submission phase tonight. A unique annual competition that brings together the best entrepreneurs in the world looking to disrupt cybersecurity and data science, Data Tribe selects 3 finalists that split $20,000 in prize money and one winner that could receive up to $2 million in seed capital. Full disclosure, DataTribe is a CyberWire investor. I checked in with Shamla Naidu for her advice to innovative startups looking to gather attention.
1: I would say that, you know, there's a lot of innovation out there. We are not short on innovation, and the innovation is very readily available to all. Sometimes free, sometimes low cost, sometimes high cost, but it is available. And what I would say is, you know, we have to look at how businesses are consuming the innovation that exists and what are the risks that are being created in this new environment. Those are the problems we need to be solving. So, you know, if I had to pick a couple, I would say the cloud is forming the backbone of our telecommunications and our communications environments. And not because the cloud is just an innovation that we should consume. What we really want is to speed up our businesses. We don't want to spend our precious resources and talent building out infrastructure and, you know, capability that we could commoditize and buy from someone else. So the idea is we want to preserve our resources to do things that are special and unique to our business. Everything that's commoditized, we can outsource We can delegate, we can buy it, we can lease it, we can borrow it from others. And so I think the cloud forms that backbone where others are writing applications, others are creating all of the solutions. We just want to go consume those and add our unique perspective. So for me, I'd say to an entrepreneur is make sure that anything you create follows the cloud. Because almost every business is out there either already on a cloud journey or they are on a cloud journey and they don't even know it. And so, you know, we have many, many organizations where cloud is being consumed, cloud services, cloud applications are being consumed. They may not even know it. So we need that visibility. So make sure that your solutions Um, support businesses where they have cloud workloads, make sure that the cloud workloads give the consumer visibility and gives you a place to control that may be outside of your immediate area of either ownership or control. And then, you know, remember that we live in a data world. So I would say looking at cloud as a backbone, look at data and data protection Because almost every organization right now has become a data-driven decision-making organization. Everything we do generates data. Someone is collecting it. Someone is aggregating it, collating it, and making decisions about what we should be doing. And they're looking to influence our behavior and influence our actions. So, you know, we know that businesses are driven by data. So data protection is the other really big key piece to remaining relevant to where businesses are going. And then on the other hand, you know, I'll think about things like artificial intelligence. We've got so much data that none of us can humanly consume. Artificial intelligence actually helps us to do that to, again, give us that benefit of speed and scale So we can use and consume large amounts of data. We can create conclusions and action lists very, very quickly from our analysis. And so those are two areas I would really focus on is data protection and, you know, artificial intelligence. How do you actually consume that data? How do you extract business insights from the data that you have collected, but then you know, on the security side is recognizing that we have to continue to secure and protect that cloud infrastructure that we don't own, that we don't control. So we can have to find unique and different ways to solve for that. So entrepreneurs out there should help us to do that. And then, you know, lastly, I would say, you know, just recognizing that because speed is so important, removing the friction from how we work, should be a key component in creating any solution. So making sure that, you know, that you're creating smooth workflows that are going to give you an outcome versus you know, too many handoffs and, and too many steps and creating either inconvenience or creating obstacles for the end user. So all of us wants to create a very productive workforce we are looking to extract as much value as we can from the precious talent and resources that we have removing the friction helps us to make better business decisions and make better business outcomes
0: that's shamla naidu she's head of cloud strategy and innovation at netscope and judge of the upcoming data tribe challenge entrepreneurs and founders it's not too late to get your application in it's quick and easy Go to datatribe.com slash challenge. There's a lot more to this conversation. If you want to hear more, head on over to CyberWire Pro and sign up for interview selects, where you get access to this and many more extended interviews. Visit vanta.com/cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com/cyber. And joining me once again is David DeFore. He's the Vice President of Engineering and Cybersecurity at Webroot. Uh, David, always great to have you back. Um, I know that you have had your eye lately on cyber insurance and uh, some of the good and bad that comes with that. What can you share with us today? Yes.
2: Hey, David. Always good to be back. Um, love love the show. Love being on it. Um, you and I have been talking about cyber insurance off and on for, for a couple of years now, probably more more like five. Um, yeah. And it's really starting to become a, a well-defined product that insurance agencies are figuring out how to sell. Um, obviously their goal is to make money while, while protecting you. So, so as we've seen the growth of cybersecurity as an in- industry, the insurance companies have done a, uh, a pretty good job of figuring out how to, how to offer the services to folks.
0: You know, one of the things I've noticed is, uh, obviously, you know, the prices are heading up as, uh, it seems, uh, as more ransomware cases are coming up. So it seems like the cyber insurance companies are doing a better job of calibrating their own risk
2: yeah and that's that's the key thing to to consider with um, any type of cyber insurance. You know initially it was the wild west you would you would get a policy. The insurance underwriters wouldn't exactly know how much to charge or how much to insure for because originally a lot of the insurance covered things like brand protection or physical uh, downtime because you couldn't sell because your website was down. But what's happening is uh, with the with the growth of of ransomware and and the ability of organizations to be attacked in that manner, um, they've really done a good job of um, applying like NIST standards, uh, making sure that you're following proper uh, cyber hygiene. And then uh, offering insurance around that, the trick there being is if you're not following what you signed up for in the policy, they're not going to pay out. So, again, they've gotten really good at the underwriting and then identifying what you need to do to stay compliant.
0: What are you telling the folks that you're working with in terms of, you know, shopping around and and finding the best uh, fit for them?
2: Yes, well, so the good news, as it becomes more of a of a uh, something that can be well defined, we're seeing not fringe insurance providers. So you're able to go to your really strong insurance companies and get coverage. But but what you've got to do is decide what you're trying to insure against. You know, a lot of folks uh, there still is a brand awareness that's important. Um, so you've got to be aware of that. And then you know, are you trying to insure against ransomware? If you're hacked or attacked in in some way uh, that involves a ransom, do do you want to make sure you have that coverage? And, you know, maybe that's more important to you because, you know, we always like to talk about the welder in Oklahoma who just wants to send out invoices. If you have cyber insurance, you're not really caring about paying for brand cleanup or brand protection. You're more concerned about having uh, that coverage for ransomware to get you back on your feet. So basically, you need to know what you're getting. And then the bigger part is know what you're paying for, but what you've got to do to stay compliant in terms of of the policy itself.
0: Yeah, I can't help wondering if as things go forward and, and we see more and more payouts, if cyber insurance may go the way of flood insurance, where it's really hard for private companies to underwrite these sorts of things. And we end up with some sort of government backstop.
2: That, and, you know, with, with, with the way crypto's going and the government involvement there, um, we may end up with some type of government backstop. And what's, what's interesting, David, and there's news articles about this, we're seeing it, so I by no means am, you know, have the market cornered on this, but the industry is seeing where nefarious actors are going into an environment, into somebody's systems, looking for insurance coverage, Figuring out what their policy is, and then setting the ransom to what the policy is. So, yeah. I mean, there's at some point going to be some rule and a policy that says you can't keep your policy on your network. Um, but we've right, seen that right. that happen in many cases here recently.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, I can imagine companies having, uh, you know, p- placing decoy policies in their
2: honeypots, right? But, exactly for low amounts. That's right. Exactly. Right. Right.
0: Right. Exactly. All right, interesting stuff as always. David DeFore, thanks for joining
2: us. Hey, great being here, David.
0: And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Wondering what to do with all that free time this weekend? Well, check out Research Saturday. And my conversation with Dan Petro and Alan Cecil from Bishop Fox on their research, you're doing IoT R N G. That's Research Saturday. Do check it out. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman. Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Carrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week.